podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello there all, Daniel Childs back here again for episode 2 of Dear Chelsea, my new interview series and in episode 1 we spoke to the brilliant Gary Hayes, mainly focusing on his new podcast series, The Blueprint. Please go and check that out. Some great detail within that conversation. In episode two, we have the wonderful Olivia Bazaglo. Probably a name very familiar to all of you if you watch Sky Sports News. She's a regular host on there. Even if you've just been down to the bridge recently, she has regularly been on the touchline pre-match halftime to speaking with the brilliant Lee Parker about Chelsea. She interviews players. She's at the press conferences. She's a well-known Chelsea voice and is proudly a Chelsea fan, even though she works in the media and covers a majority of clubs. So we get into her love for Chelsea, where it began, how she got into the media, what it's like being a presenter in the media and kind of the pros and cons given she is such a devoted Chelsea fan. And then we get into her favourite memories, interviewing players, some wonderful stories on that aspect too. And we do cover the current first team and why there are many reasons to be optimistic about Chelsea Football Club under Mauricio Pochettino. Please, if you are enjoying the series, it's really helpful if you share it with fellow Chelsea fans, get more people involved in the community. Give this a five-star review. That is the appropriate number of stars for Son of Chelsea. But yeah, let's get into the conversation with Olivia right now. Okay, so no conversation with Olivia Bazaglo can begin properly without asking about what is the current crime book or crime-related thing you're you're binging on at the moment. <laughs> Um, so I have got a book about a Scottish serial killer. Um, and it was, I can't remember when it's set. Um, but I haven't finished. Oh, this is funny because it's right here because it's next to my bed because I actually like to like sounds, sounds actually like a bit weird, but like sometimes instead of going on my phone at night, I like to read, but I read stuff like this and it's called The Face of Evil, The True Story of Serial Killer Robert Black. And it is horrible because there are kids involved. And whenever there's kids involved, it's just a little bit harder to read. Um, But yeah, he was a serial killer, a Scottish serial killer uh, back in the 90s. And thank God he died in January 2016. Um, But yeah, some of his crimes are absolutely disgusting and they're all against kids. So yeah, it's intense, but I haven't finished it yet. I've got to like, I'm there. I'm 153 pages in, but as as I said, I go away on Saturday. So if I don't read it this week, it'll be, I'll be starting to read that on Sunday. (laughs) Yeah, my my sort of routine is I I read books like first thing in the morning um, with a coffee. So so yeah, it's kind of uh, my sort of routine, but I'm, I the most the most extreme thing i'll do is is read a football book that's a little bit more serious than so i i can't i can't do the the crime books you know i'm currently on um i think david goldblatt age of football which is quite intense in the sense that it's like it's like harry potter level like size so i'm it's gonna wow, take okay. me it's gonna take me a while to get through that but uh yeah, yeah i just i the, still the, read here like I struggle to read here. I like I find it so much easier when I'm like laying in the sun to read. Um, I've, I read the Jose Mourinho books actually right here, which I think I'm actually going to give away to someone on Twitter because I'm not going to I'm not going to um, 
I'm not going to read it again, obviously. And if mm. people, I don't know, haven't bought it or haven't read it, it's actually really, really good. And it's a really good insight. So I might actually put it on Twitter and see if anyone wants it. And then I'll send it to them. Um, but yeah, I actually, I'm going to start getting into more like sports books because I actually really enjoyed that. But they have to be someone that I'm like fully invested in. Like it would probably have to be someone related to Chelsea to make me want to read it or like, like I'm watching Beckham at the moment, which I'm really enjoying. Yeah. Um, or like, I don't know, like like Messi or someone like that. So, but I'm going to start getting into more like sports books and reading and watching more mm. sports docs as well. I definitely suggest uh, reading Pochettino, the book about Pochettino, if you haven't already. Um, Do you know it... I saw that at the airport, um, and I'm flying. I'm, I think I'm flying from the same airport on on Saturday, so I will. I might pick that up. Yeah, I know he's he's handed it off to Mudrick uh, for some reason. So yeah, it's a yeah, it's a really fascinating read. Even though it was, I think I I started reading it even before he was announced as Chelsea's head coach because really sort of April April time. Um, yeah, but yes, yeah, it's, it's an incredible read. Uh, but yeah, definitely definitely worth uh, getting into it because it just I think it explains why he's such a good coach. Um, but I guess you know I, uh, the first. A guest we had on the series, uh, Gary Hayes. I asked him, you know, where did your love of Chelsea begin? And it was sort of it's quite interesting hearing how he came from quite a divided family of of different clubs being supported. Especially, he could have been a Millwall fan in, in an alternative universe, which is quite funny. Um, so, yeah, mm. where where did your love of of the club begin? Um. So my, I mean, when I was really young, I did, I was like more girly than. Um, I say more girly. I just did like dance, ballet. Like I didn't, I had no interest in football and I don't really know where that like, it actually like started. It must've just been my dad was watching football at home and I would then sit and watch it with him. And I really liked it. Cause I asked him, I asked to, obviously for him to take me down to like a local girls team. Um, and that's how I started playing. And then obviously you just go with your dad. Like that's just how how it happened so he was a Chelsea fan which means I became a Chelsea fan and but I think the story on how he became a Chelsea fan is, is almost more interesting because I a bit like Gary like sort of well my family are my, my dad's side of Chelsea and my and my mum's side of Liverpool but the but the how my dad became a Chelsea fan was his his dad so his household growing up was very heavily cricket um my grandpa played cricket my uncle played cricket my dad played cricket but dad wanted to get into football as well. And he managed to go to an FA Cup final back in the either late 60s or early 70s. And he said he was going to support whichever team lost. And Spurs beat Chelsea that day. Can you actually imagine? Like, I sit here now and I think, oh, my God, Liv, you could like, you could be being as passionate as you are about Chelsea, about Spurs. Like, what? Um, so that's how he became a Chelsea fan. And then, yeah, just like naturally when I was growing up, obviously, I then just became a Chelsea fan and yeah it just it just went from there and the more I watched football the more I the more I became obsessed with them and with the players and and the club and stuff so yeah that's that's how it all happened yeah it is incredible like I've heard this from several people of either that type of situation like I'm going to support the team that that loses or the the, the team that wins Um, and it's just I mean it's more it's more the team that wins isn't it like how often how often do people support whichever team loses well, it might have just been like, you know, he he liked the idea of the underdog. He liked the idea of yeah. the team, you know, battling against adversity. It's just, it's incredible when you think Spurs and the historic rivalry. I, know. I mean, just just I lucky, know. lucky. I know, so lucky. Oh gosh, things could have been so different. 
yeah it's uh yeah, yeah that that that's probably the yeah i mean there was kind of with my background there was kind of no realistic chance of me not being a chelsea fan because sort of local club family grew up in the local area there was kind of i i did have on my mum's side uh my uncle on my um mum's side which is kind of the only person interested in football was an arsenal fan um mm -hmm. and when i started uh getting into football that was obviously when the invincibles were around and there was that run of time when chelsea just would always lose to arsenal um yeah but there was that was that was as close as mate but it wasn't quite it was quite distant family on my mum's side so I didn't see them regularly so it wasn't like a weekly I, I can't quite relate to people who say like you know Liverpool Everton fans you know who live together or grew up together I don't really have yeah. that it was always kind of like Chelsea or you're gonna be sort of like it's gonna be blasphemy you know you're not gonna be in the family anymore if you're not Chelsea <laughs> so uh but yeah that's that's thank god thank god chelsea lost which um which is you know not not a thing you usually say but you know that's definitely the case um it, in terms of you know because that that love you know not just supporting the team has, has sort of led you know into media work um I, i'd be surprised and not just football i mean over the weekend you were covering a boxing event um as well it's what is that like from going you know, from a fan perspective into a media environment where you are talking to the people involved and kind of having to break through what I, I assume is just naturally for all of us, a little bit of not fear, but kind of like, you know, being starstruck. Is that it, was that something you had to get through quite early on? Yeah, like I think like when I first started, now less so, there's only a few players now that have made me starstruck and like, we're talking like elite level of like football like in terms of like Ronaldinho and, and Roberto Carlos. I was a little bit like, whoa. Um, but, but when I like, you know, when you like you first get, you know, your first interview, especially with a Chelsea player, um, there is a little bit of like fan in me and everyone knows that I'm a fan and, and more often than not, you are a fan first. Do you know what I mean? So everyone's going to have that. So it was, I think it was quite hard. I can't even really remember who my first, who the first Chelsea player it was I interviewed. Um, or like the first time I went down to Cobham or anything like that. Um, but I know I would have been nervous. Of course I would have been. And But now, once once you spend time with them, you you just understand that they are just normal people and there's nothing, there's almost nothing to get starstruck about. I, like, I suppose there is. And like, obviously, when I was younger, you know, I would go and wait outside the training ground for like Frank Lampard and John Terry. And, and, and when I was like 12 years old, like, and I was like, oh my God, like, this is the best thing ever. Um, so I, it makes me like, it, I don't know, like whenever I drive into Cobham and I see people standing there and just like, oh, like I just appreciate it because I like I was exactly the same and I used to do exactly the same things and want to get pictures with my heroes, basically. Um, but I think when you get up, when you get to an age, like I'm 29 now and I'm working with players that are younger than me or my age. Do you know what I mean? So it's like they're not you don't have that sort of level of, oh, my God, they're my heroes anymore. Like I don't look at it like that. And that's probably one reason obviously working in in the media that's probably one reason why I don't but um I think there'll always be a level of like I don't know what the word is because like I'm just so grateful to be like working with my team and the players from my team and my club and and all the other clubs as well like it is a, it is a big privilege but I think once you realize that they're just normal people 
it becomes easier to just like go in and be like oh yeah and just have like a normal conversation with them I think it's like people just put them on a pedestal sometimes but I just don't think that's right yeah it's it's interesting I mean I got like a brief glimpse of it uh working at the women's world cup and there are a few times where I was sort of in the mix zone um and I you know speaking to some of the players it's 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 mm-hmm. also a bit of like that professional environment that you kind of mm-hmm. I think the distress of like a match day and covering a match day is so intense that I you kind of don't appreciate it till you're out of that environment. I don't know if you find that because it's yeah. so like you get there you get to the stadium so early whatever work you're doing whether it's in the you know written press media and then like I'd have to rush down a flight of stairs to get to the mix zone so I was in place for an interview and then it's so like a whirlwind I you don't really have time to think about it I don't know if that's kind of a helpful thing in those situations that you kind of don't actually think you're not thinking until maybe after you're home that actually oh my god what did I just do I've just done that yeah, I, I, yeah, you're 100% right. Like everything goes so quickly. Like, and that, that's like everything. Like every, every job I do or every like match day or like big event that I've done, even like on Saturday, like someone actually messaged me and was like, did you have time to like take it all in? And I was like, no. Like by the time like I was backstage doing interviews and then that I was ringside, it was just, it's just, it was carnage. It was um, like, it was amazing. It was like good carnage, but it was just, there was so much going on. And, it went so quickly that it's then like you don't have you don't have any time when you're there to be like oh my god this is amazing like you just don't so um so yeah it, it's I think that's a good thing in a way because then you can like like to like it was literally this morning I was sat back and I was like, oh actually like that was pretty cool like you know you did that and and it, and it was wicked so I think I think that does help because I think if you had time to think about stop and think at every event like what are you doing you you almost have time to get nervous and to be like oh my god what am I going to say what this and that but it's like you're there for a reason you're there because you're good at your job and yeah you can you'll, you'll always have time to think about it afterwards and I think that's probably the best thing you're so right in terms of maybe pros and cons maybe more so on the con side that people who you know see the the great side of being within the media interviewing players you know getting that access mm-hmm. working around the club is is there a part especially more so on the Chelsea side that you kind of go well there there is some sounds silly to say sacrifice because what we're talking about here is you know quite incredible but you know things Mm -hmm. that maybe Mm -hmm. as a normal fan you kind of feel ah, actually I do miss that side of you know being you know that side of of the uh the stadium right you know just being a normal fan you know compared to to being in the media yeah do you know what this is what I always say to everyone is that like people always think like I'm always at Chelsea and yeah because the the reason is because I don't ever want to lose that fan side of of being of of football like I I just don't like I love being a fan and that's why I go on those like European away days and because I can just be a fan for like two or three days I can do what I want I can drink what I want I can say what I want and it's like it's so nice having that having that aspect because you watch football in two completely different ways when you're working and when you're a fan like you just do like you'll know that like you don't you don't watch it in the same way and as much as I love my job and I love working for the club and I love being there on a match day working and being at any Premier League ground working like it's amazing but I don't support all those other clubs I support Chelsea and I don't care that everyone knows I support Chelsea it really doesn't bother me that everyone knows I support Chelsea because I supported Chelsea long before I started this job so the way I look at it is 
I will never stop being a fan because I've spoken to so many people that say I've lost it's it's become one now work and football it's one they don't have an aspect of it anymore and I'm determined not to lose that so whenever I'm not like I'll never turn down a job and be like oh I'm going to watch Chelsea that day like that doesn't that doesn't happen like that doesn't it doesn't that's not how my life works but because at the end of the day I'm getting paid for this this is my job like but if there's ever a day where I'm not working and Chelsea are playing I will 100% be there um because I I I just love being the fan I can sit in the crowd I can say what I want I can chat to my friends I can do you know what I mean it's just a different completely different environment completely different atmosphere and I'm a Chelsea fan at the end of the day and I always want us to win and I just love being in the crowd like there's nothing better than being in the crowd for a big game um I'm actually missing Arsenal on the weekend which is really annoying um but like I'm doing Newcastle away and we're treating that as like our European away day because obviously we haven't got one um we're doing like a weekend up in Newcastle and I just love them I, I love doing it and I will continue to do that probably for the rest of my life because it was what makes me happy and work makes me happy but Chelsea also make me very happy so I'll continue doing both things separately for as long as I can. Yeah, I also think it's probably, you know, important for people within the media to see the fan side of things a little bit more. And, you know, because I do worry sometimes there's that sort of detachment, um, you know, because as I say, you know, the brief glimpses I've got of it, there are perks and privileges right like in terms of of, of mm. being in just a press box right and and you know and, yeah. and you sit you sit there and like oh this is this is lovely you know I get to I have mm-hmm. a media pass you know there's there there are there are perks to it but then also actually your coverage your ability as a reporter as a journalist to actually when you're sat on Sky Sports News and, and being able to go well actually I do the fans other things because you're you'd be in conversation and regularly in conversation with the most loyal Chelsea fans so you're actually mm-hmm. able to give a level of authenticity that you know probably even some reporters some journalists who cover the club each week even though they're actually at the games probably don't have that mm-hmm. because you even if you're not going over it you still have more probably interactions with Chelsea fans than they do mm. yeah I'd say so I like I'll always for me it's like I'll forever, I'll forever keep it separate. And I understand there's like, obviously like, it's, it's so cool that you get to, I, I know I love working Chelsea games, but I also don't, if that makes sense, because I love my job, but I sort of want to keep it separate. Like I, I'd happily just not work Chelsea games. Cause like a lot of stuff I do is like, like, I obviously love working like on a match day. Like we do like some social stuff now for the club, which is amazing. And I, I, and I do love that side of things. Um, but in terms of like the work I do for the Premier League, it is very serious and like, I'm not there as a fan. Whereas when I do the Chelsea stuff, I'm there as a fan effectively. Like this is the reason I'm doing it. I'm a fan. I also work in the media. So it's like comes hand in hand. But when I'm sat in the press room, I have to be obviously chilled. Like I can't be like, and I find it quite hard just like naturally because when I'm watching, when I'm watching my team play, like naturally that's just how, how I'm going to react. Um, but I like, I like, I like not being a Chelsea like spokesperson because that's not how it is but I almost like like last season I don't do presses anymore because my show has been moved an hour later which means I can't get to Cobham in time to do Poch which is so annoying so I was so looking forward to like speaking to, to him this season um but I, that's why I'll always you know like how I used to like put on Twitter and be like what what would you ask Poch if you could and I like having that link between like the manager and the players and and the fans as well because I am a fan at the end of the day and I think everyone should have an opportunity to like you know, if you could ask the manager one thing, like, what would it be? And I, I sort of like having that relationship. And, and 
but the problem is is that people on twitter expect me to come out and say stuff like and like just like abuse the players and the managers and question everything every decision Poch makes and that's not going to happen because I love my job and and I, I said it the other day I said it on Twitter that if anyone was in my position you would do exactly the same thing and I would not I literally do not believe any of you if you say otherwise like if you had like if you got the chance to work with your team and your players in the media and at games you would refrain from writing abuse on social media about all those players and that manager if it meant you had that job so I like I sort of like it coming together but I also like keeping it separate but I'll always try and be like a medium wherever I can between so it feels like the fans have some access to the players and and the manager and stuff like that the when you were talking to Alex about it on on the byline and and how yeah you know there also is a reality that of course there's a level of of course professional courtesy you have to come to these situations with an objectivity and you know you, mm-hmm. in, in your role because you are covering different clubs and you are going to different games yeah. you're not just exclusively Chelsea but then also as we spoke about earlier you are dealing with these players on a regular basis and you you realize that they aren't to the objects you realize that they aren't just FIFA like you know they aren't they're just normal people they're normal people so you know I, I like a lot of those people, it comes across as projection of of probably what they are, to be honest, rather than anything to do with reality. Mm-hmm. But then if you do have to actually encounter these people on a regular basis and actually speak to some of these players, you know, mm-hmm. it's why would you act like, you know, if, if, if any of these accounts had to actually speak to Mason Mount after they, everything they they've said it. about... Yeah, yeah, you know, it's, 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 it's a... That, it's, it's a complete like disconnect from reality right like there's there's being objectively and i think i am quite critical about players mm-hmm. but then i don't go overboard and it's not because i know them i have to speak to them but it's like i don't have to make a good point by abusing someone to me that degrades my point if i have to if mm-hmm. i have to abuse someone that's it just completely you're no longer listening to the analysis anymore you're listening to the abuse and like they wouldn't say anything to their fate. Like if, if they if they said, oh, like, do you want to come and interview, I don't know, Raheem Sterling or like Conor Gallagher, like they, they would go and do it. But like, I don't even know, they wouldn't, they'd be so nice to their faces. Like it's just, it's just, that's why it's just a load of rubbish. Like I always think like there's being critical and that's fine. Like you could, you're a fan, a football fan at the end of the day. And if you don't like something, you're well in your right to tweet about it. But it's just like the level of abuse I just never get. And, and it's the same with like, I don't think, people understand that like it's my job to talk about football but like not just Chelsea like I put myself out there I understand that as like a Chelsea fan and everyone knows that but like I think some Chelsea fans think that I should only talk about Chelsea I'm not just a Chelsea fan like I work for Premier League production I work for I work for all these companies and like I can't just be seen to talk about one club as much as I like do like if you look down my tweets how often do I tweet about other clubs not very often but I, but I try to because I should. And then when I do, everyone goes mental. And they're like, why are you talking about a player from a rival club? And it's like, I just like, honestly, it's, pay, like, it's painful sometimes. I just like, so I don't reply to half of them because I'm like, I'm sat here like, you're like, it's actually like hurting me how how silly and stupid these people are because like, and it's only obviously like, they've obviously got a real thing with Mason Mount and that's fine, that they they always will. But if I'm watching Man United, and I think he's playing well, I will tweet about it. 
I was watching Jude Bellingham. I thought he was playing well. I tweeted about it. I was watching Man United. I thought Bruno played well and he's got a brilliant goal. I tweeted about it. So I, like, I'm going to continue to do that. And I all I say is like, there is an unfollow button. You really, I'm not forcing you to follow me. I don't, I don't care. Like that, that does not like bother me in the slightest. I've been on this app since I was about 16, writing what I thought to no one because I was just that's just what I wanted to do I just liked Twitter I liked the concept of of writing things down and telling people how I felt and that's why I prefer it to Instagram because taking pictures doesn't come naturally to me but writing stuff down I find easier um so I'll I'll I've been doing it for, for years and years and years and it's just so happened that you know I've gained a bit of a following but I also don't care if you don't follow me like it really that was never a, a thing for me like I just I've done it for ages and I'll continue to do it no matter how many followers I have um and if you don't like it you do not have to follow me but at the moment like if, if anyone like is like abusive or like says it's anything inappropriate to me about Mace especially I'll just block them so they won't be able to see them anymore and that's I think that's the easiest way to do it because I just went it was just a lot of people I was muting but then I was you know when it comes up on Twitter and it's like you can just unmute it like I don't want to have the option to see it so I just block them so they can't see my tweets and I won't be able to see theirs yeah I also think like there's um it's a it's distinguishing between good faith sort of disagreement and bad faith approach to things like I I think that I've realized that I know people that I have disagreements with that we disagree about things on a regular basis, but they don't attack me personally, them personally, yeah. and we just see the game in a different way, and that's absolutely fine. Don't mind like a, don't mind like a respectful debate. That's the half of the reason why I was on Twitter in the first place, or X, whatever it's called. But like I. And that's why I did it from, from the start. Like I would just ban it with my mates about it because obviously I can't, I can only do that to a certain degree now because of work. And I, I that's my choice because I like my job and I want to continue doing my job. But I that, I'll, I will reply. If, if I think someone's made a good point, I will say like, I respect that. Like I, I disagree, but like, that's fine. And I don't mind that. It's when people get abusive towards me or is like, or like the players and it's like, or just a, like chatting complete rubbish at stuff like we know is not true. Like that's what winds me up. Um, and I shouldn't even interact half the time. So now I've just, now I'm just the block button is the best button on, on X. So um, yeah, it's when people just take it too far. That's what, that's what I don't like. Getting on something uh, a little bit more positive. I wanted to ask you throughout the years, and I'm sure again, this is going to relate to Chelsea, sort of the best player experience moment interview you've had uh because i'm sure i'm sure there's a lot um because you know i i just i find that quite interesting you know the maybe those moments that some fans don't catch you know especially like as i say sorry to sort of you know bring it back to my own experience which is just you know a lot different but you know in the mix zone a lot of that isn't filmed so it's just written so sometimes people I, I, it's a shame actually that fans don't see that because or maybe embargoed mm. stuff from a from a anything that you kind of springs to mind of like this really stood out in my career oh gosh that's so hard whenever I like whenever people ask me that I have to like look on Instagram and like go and have a look at like what I've actually like done because like half of the stuff I just forget you know like it's been it's been a while now that I've been working in the industry um I think even like okay the the one interview that I love more than anyone but everyone's seen this is the Kai Havertz one and the little kid um that for me like I don't know why it stands out so much I think it's just because I like doing 
like fun stuff like that because you see like a you see like a, a different side of these players that you don't necessarily see all the time. Um, I really loved it. It's only just come out. Is the Ben Chilwell, Brian O'Driscoll shoe. I think that was like one for me that like made me think, wow, like look what you're doing. Like you're down at Cobham with Ben Chilwell and also like a rugby like go in Brian O'Driscoll. And like, it was just really nice and normal and just like chilled out. And like, we got obviously got the job done. We were there for a reason, but that again is a moment where I was like, this is cool. And I just, I just really enjoy stuff like that. Um, what else is there I don't know you know like I feel like the club world cup will always stand out for me um as like a moment in my career because I obviously got to fly out to Abu Dhabi it was a it was a holiday as well as working and it was Chelsea and it was we won it and we like completed the the whole set and that was that was pretty cool but like trying to pick like a moment like work-wise is just really hard but like those ones are the ones that come to mind when I think about like the stuff I've done. I think there's probably more, but you know when I just like can't think. <laughs> I guess maybe it, it relates to because I know at one point you you interviewed Eden Hazard, um, and, and maybe maybe that that's because it's quite relevant because I wanted to, to talk about Eden. Um, <laughs> And I don't know if that's that's maybe top of your list because I, I think it would be for a lot of Chelsea fans. You know, I actually forget I've done that. Like, I forget that, like, because I was there, I was it was back and it was like back when I was working for like CFC Fan TV. That was why I was down there. It was like almost before I sort of got into the media properly. I was saying like, as much as I love working with the players now, and I and I you know working with the crop of players like last season that I did, or like since I started working effectively, um, but. I um I would have loved to have worked like properly worked for the club back then when it was like William, Diego Costa, Hazard, like Oscar, Mata, JT, like all, Fabregas, all of them. And actually, it was that team that I went to meet, and I met all of them that day. Do you know it's so annoying? Is that I used to have all the videos on my phone, but they never played, so I deleted them. But I spoke to Diego Costa. I got William singing his Spurs, the Spurs song, and the Hazard one was was really nice. I think I got to him to pick his favorite goal. But it's just like the screenshot of the picture is so good because I'm just like gazing like I literally like like inside I'm like dying because like that is where like little me is like live. This is unreal. Like Hazard's probably like behind Messi. He's probably my favourite ever player. Like I just adored watching him. I would watch Chelsea, but I would watch him for 90 minutes. And that moment is just like, I don't know, it just makes me really happy. Like I just I'm like coming away from that guy and you met. Eden Hazard and you got to have a little chat with him and like it was just we were just having a laugh and having a joke about about um about him and his goals and yeah it was yeah that's definitely up there and I think that was so long ago like I've even forgotten I've done that um but yeah that's I mean it's definitely up there because he's yeah I'd say he's my number two favorite ever football players are Lionel Messi and Eden Hazard so do you remember what goal we said at the time do you know I actually can't and it's so annoying. Like, I literally have scrolled back. I don't even think, like, I want to go down and see when I, like, posted it. But I'm pretty sure I only, and I don't know why, but I feel like I only ever posted, like, just look at that gaze. I'm just like, <laughs> <laughs> find someone that looks at you the way Liv looks at Eden Hazard is what everyone was tweeting. I was like, it's very accurate. I can't remember. So, like, that was the one with Fabregas. 
Yes. Which is also pretty cool. Um, I don't know why I didn't post the... It was basically the end of the 16-17 season. So oh, so you already scored the Arsenal goal. Yeah. I think he okay. probably would have said Arsenal. Um, that is what... That is what I'm, I'm thinking. But I really wish I had the video and I just... It's just nowhere... Is nowhere to be seen, and it makes me really, really sad because Antonio. Ah, oh, all these memes. It makes me so happy. Um, but yeah, I can't remember what he said, but I'm gonna go with Arsenal because it would make like sense, wouldn't it? Because it's most people's favourite and Nazard goal. Um, so yeah, gonna go. I think that was before, before the Liverpool one at Anfield. I think. Yeah, I think, um, so. I think uh, yeah, I didn't... And, and it was for West Ham, wasn't it? Yeah, because I, I did a a poll on my YouTube page just and I, and I think I put like four options and it was um, the Arsenal one, the West Ham one was in there, the Liverpool one was in there too. Just it's crazy how many of the great goals he has. Honestly, this was... The, so this is why I love the Arsenal one so much was because that's where I was for the celebration. Like he did that knee slide into the corner. Like, to be honest, I'm not going to lie. My mate took that picture because I was literally, somehow I ended up like facing the other way. Like I was facing like, I had my back to them and Matt was like, turn around. And I was like, what the hell? And my mate Matt took that picture and I stole it. And he was like, you're, so it's like, it's so sick. Like to have that knee slide right there. And I remember I was on like, I remember it was so funny going into work the next weekend because I just started working at PLP as in like, that was my first season. And obviously that, that was in Feb and I remember going into work and I can just see my, like, on the cameras like you come to like behind Hazard and it's just the fans and you just see me going absolutely mental in the crowd it's so good um but yeah I'd probably say I think he said that one because oh looking at going back to like my Instagram like back then and oh, it just makes me so happy I wish I could have worked with this crop of players like properly you know <laughs> oh I love it so much like that's why that I mean, that West Ham and Liverpool are definitely top three for me. I think, but I think like goals like that, like everyone talks about Battle of the Bridge and stuff, like that just sums up to me, sums up him as a footballer, not Battle of the Bridge. Like the Battle of the Bridge was unbelievable because of the circumstances and the goal, and it was an unbelievable finish. But I think that the, do you know, I really like the West Ham one as well in terms of like the pure like speed and like how tight a gap it was. Like he literally just skipped past four players like they weren't there and in such like a tight space. And it, it was that, that like, his low centre of gravity, how quick he was with the ball. He was almost, I found Hazard was almost quicker with the ball at his feet rather than not. And like, that's why he was such a special player to watch. And that's why I don't think you can really compare him to Salah because Salah's not that player. Salah's like a hang on the right, like hang on the right, um, the literally the right-hand side, like the left back as far as, as high, um, as high and as far as you can. That's where Salah, and like, that's why I think you can try and compare Saka to Salah because they're similar players. They hang on that last man and that that side of the pitch. Hazard was everywhere. You look at like the all the three the three goals we're talking about, like are all different areas of the pitch, all completely different situations. And like that's what made him so special. I think it was like all across the pitch, he was a danger. I know he played off the left predominantly, but he would end up everywhere. Like he'd pick the ball up deep. He would drop. Like he was just. As I think it's so difficult to compare two very very different players and. 
I just think I put Hazard just in a level above because I, I don't think we'll see, we see any. We haven't got any players like Hazard anymore. Like those players that are pure entertainment that get you up off your feet when you're watching football. They're just magic with a ball at their feet. And I think that's why you'll see players like maybe not output number. Like Haaland isn't a good footballer. Well, he is a good footballer. But he's just like a numbers man. I'm taking Harry Kane over Erling Haaland in terms of overall footballer. Do you know what I mean? You can be an unbelievable goal scorer, but there can be better footballers than you. And I think that's where Hazard was just, he just lit up. Every time he got the ball, it was just like something exciting is going to happen. And I genuinely watched him for 90 minutes every time I watched Chelsea. I was excited to go and watch Chelsea because I was excited to go and watch to go and watch Hazard now I don't know if people go to football matches and be like oh I'm going to go and watch Liverpool because I'm so excited to watch Salah play like you go and watch football and you go Salah's probably going to score today do you know what I mean and I think it's the difference you're like oh my god what is Hazard going to do he's going to do something but it's like going to be exciting but I love that man so much and I'm I'm so sad that like it's all ended the way it has but like the other day was just like one of my favorite days because I was just scrolling Twitter and just seeing like Hazard comps and I just I think I forgot how good he actually was and it was just unbelievable, like constantly com- comparisons to Messi and Ronaldo in terms of like the player he was. He was just, oh, I'm so sad. I'm happy and I'm sad. Yeah, just uh, one. I, I think the best comparison actually from a Chelsea perspective is he's kind of, especially for like my our generation, like Zola, basically. You know, there's, there's, yeah. that's, that's why I think, you know, he, he's going to be so special and so rem- remembered for many years to come and just it's it's such a privilege that we got to see him live and then also Chelsea got the best years out of him like he'll be yeah. when 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 he's you know we think about like football legends and what shirt they will be remembered in even if they've been at several mm-hmm. big clubs and everyone will remember um even though you know Thierry Henry played at Barcelona in a period of his, of his career everyone remembers him in that 0-2 Arsenal shirt you know everyone will remember Eden Hazard in, in a Chelsea team. shirt so that's yeah. that's great um, just a little bit on on the current team uh because it's it's nice actually doing it during an international break uh because things are actually looking up uh finally regarding yeah. Chelsea and um mm-hmm. that that's nice to talk about and actually savor for a bit um it's it's been an interesting start to the season i mean i was very much of the belief that the performances were better than the results were telling us like I, I did think yeah. that if Chelsea kept playing the same way the numbers would just they, I think they would, you know, they would change Chelsea would start scoring but I mean just kind of your your perspective on obviously watching watching the team close so far this season of, of what Pochettino has been able to to do already and what hopefully will will come in 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 the the upcoming weeks and months yeah so I I was exactly the same as you and I I, I just couldn't really see why anyone else was thinking differently because we were six games what six or seven games into a season like at before these wins and I was exactly like you like I was seeing so many positives the only game I I actually didn't watch this game because I was working but the Forest game I think is the only game people actually looked at and thought what like they almost couldn't take any positives from that but every other game I've looked at and I've gone we genuinely genuinely should have won that like we've actually played well like we haven't actually played badly we've had you know I think all it was was like moments like moments in games that were going against us like little moments and just luck, our luck was out that's all I was thinking it was and that's why I was like really positive like 
I'm not just going to be like so positive for the sake of it if I know things are going badly. And also like my friends and people I talk to on WhatsApp and people I see and I go to Chelsea games with will know like in more detail how I'm feeling. Um, but I was I was feeling positive and I, I was I knew it was only a matter of time. But you can't it, like you can't be playing that well and that like carry on for the whole season, not winning games like it was never going to happen. And I looked at, you know, the Burnley uh, the Brighton game that obviously came first I thought that was a big win in terms of because of Brighton and everything that's happened with us over the last couple of years but also Nicholas Jackson scoring which was a real positive um, and they're a good side like even though they had a couple of big like they still played a Stupinian they still played Mitoma like they had a good side out and and players that are really difficult to play against. So I thought that win was really good especially because cup competitions I think are the only real thing Chelsea have to play for this season Following that up against Fulham, a good away performance, like deserved to win two goals in two minutes and it just killed them off. Um, but I, I, when I talk about moments like the Burnley game, when we go one nil down and that 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 goal that got us back in the game, which was obviously a Raheem Sterling cross that deflected over the over the, the, the Burnley keeper. Moments like that were going against us. Like we needed that little bit of luck and that just set us on our way. Do you know what I mean? It changed the game completely. Um and I'm hoping now that like we've got wins under our belt, we've got points as well, and we've got the points that our performances have deserved. I actually think when I look at this next run of games, I'm feeling way more positive about them like now. Obviously, coming off the back of three wins is really positive anyway. But in terms of the way Chelsea want to play football, we know Chelsea struggle against low blocks, like we just do. And the teams we're playing are gonna come at us. Like I know we've got Brentford, they probably won't. But like when we've got Spurs, we've got Arsenal, we've got City, we've got Newcastle, we've got Brighton. These aren't teams that are going to sit back against us. And I feel like that would maybe allow us to try to, to play football a little bit more. And Chelsea work better with space and, and we want space to be able to play football. And I think we're going to get that. That's why I'm not looking at this run of games thinking, oh, we're going to lose every one. I genuinely don't think we will. I think we'll get some big results in there. So I'm feeling positive, obviously, I'm ha really happy with Poch. I believe he's the right man. I know Chelsea believe he's the right man. I know the players all love him as well. It it just, it's, it feels different. It feels different. When we go 1-0 down, I have a belief that we'll get back into the game. I have a belief. I don't think the game's done. And I think that's a huge difference and a huge change in mentality in this group of players as well. So, I'm yeah, I'm feeling positive. That was always how I'm feeling. Everything I tweet and everything I say is genuinely what I feel. I'm not just going to tweet stuff for the sake of it like other people do for interactions and for likes. Like I genuinely believe all the stuff I tweet and I'm excited for this run of games. I'm excited to see where this Chelsea team are at. And I, I do believe we'll get more of a gauge at the end of this, maybe in like December over the next couple of months where Chelsea are at in terms of fighting for top four and stuff like that. But I'm, I'm feeling positive. I'm I'm happy. In terms of players, is there specific players in, in the current team that you're most excited about or maybe feel we could be seeing even more from um, in the upcoming weeks? Because luckily, for especially in the attacking sense, it's, it's wonderful to actually look at an attack and go, and there's actually quite a few players here that you can actually praise and actually see end product from. Yeah, like I, I Raheem Sterling has been one that, I, you know, I just wanted to see levels of Man City Sterling. And I think we have got that in glimpses. And I hope that carries on because he was very, very good against Burnley. Um, Cole Palmer has come in and almost like transformed our attack, I think. And that might be quite a big, a big statement, but it's like he just against Brighton, he was the best player on the pitch. Like he just he's just so brilliant on the ball. And 
everyone was questioning that signing, weren't they? But I think he's what played three games and he's already looked like he settled in so well and he's linking up with his teammates really nicely. Mudrick has got a special place in my heart. I just, I love Mikhailo Mudrick. I, I just like those players. He's, again, his player that, it gets me excited. Like, when he gets the ball, I'm like, what's he going to do? Um, and I, I don't know if he'll start against Arsenal just because Raheem Sterling's been playing so well on the left, so he'll probably start unless, yeah, I think that'll probably be the case. But I want to see more of Mudrick because I think it's a it's a confidence thing. We all knew that, but he he he's 100% better when he starts and he's got time to grow into the game. I don't think he's 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 as good when he comes off the bench and has only got 20 minutes of half an hour to make an impact. Um I so I I really like the attack. I I like Armando Broja and I like Nicholas Jackson and I'm happy for them to again do half and half against Arsenal because I don't think Broja can play a full game and I think Nicholas Jackson's got his confidence back. It was a lovely lovely finish, really composed in the box, good fee against Burnley as well. So I think our attack is really exciting. Like I it's going to be even more exciting when Nkunku comes back and he was a player I was so excited to see and it's just so annoying. And I think I think Potch will probably have some selection headaches when he does come back because he's 100% one of the first names on the team sheet when he comes back and he's fit because of who he is and and, and what he can offer Chelsea. It was like our star signing effectively in the summer. Um, so yeah, I, I'm I'm happy with 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 that attack now. I, I I like it. I think it's exciting. I think Enzo and Caicedo are the, are the pivot everyone wants to see, and I think we will going forward see that. And I think those were the two players, especially that when we signed them for the amount of money we did, I was never worried, not once. I was never worried about the price tag. I think those two will live up to their price tag and more. We're starting to see it with Caicedo now. We've seen it with Enzo already, um, and it just makes a difference when you've got like a world class defensive mid. And I think Caicedo is just he's just starting to show his class and. I think it's an exciting time. I don't think Chelsea fans should be too negative. I think we've seen positives. Everyone looks like they're starting to click. We know it's going to take time. All these players are new and have never played together before. So um, I'm excited by that attack. I'm, I'm probably most excited by Cole Palmer, I'd say, out of out of them all. And Mikhailo Mujic's just, yeah, as I said, got a special place in my heart. I, I don't really know why, but I just, I think I want him to succeed more than anyone else. Obviously, there's a lot of an emotional background there because of what's been going on and and, and yeah. how much that player and and any player of you know from Ukraine has had to deal with over the past yeah god what is it 15 18 months I think it is coming up yeah. to now so and he's a young guy as well like there's um you know I think that there was always for me a case of until we get to see him fully in the first team as you say you can't you can never yeah. make a full judgment on a player until you actually no. get that that run of games yeah um, I also want to ask you just quickly about Levi Colwell because I know you that was another player you've interviewed recently and there was so much fear that Levi wasn't going to still be at the club and you know just seeing how he's developed through the academy and then went to Huddersfield had an amazing season uh, went to Brighton after a slow start quickly became uh, a regular for them and now he's back in the, the Chelsea team and is is proving i mean he's he's turning himself into quite the left back because he's sort of had to now well injured as well i mean um i guess just your experience with levi being able to to speak to him because he is a sensational talent given his age and and it feels like the sky's the limit for him at chelsea yeah it is he's got maturity like beyond his years like when you speak to him it's like speaking to a 28 year old like he's 20 years old and he is like honestly the way he speaks the way he just everything about him is just I, I think I think he'll be Chelsea captain one day. That they, they that's what I get from him. Um, the maturity when he plays, the maturity off the pitch. Um, it was lovely to speak to him as well. Like he's 
he's a really lovely guy. He was really easy to chat to. And it was obviously a really positive interview. We were talking about all of the biggest moments in his career and stuff. But I think he learned a lot on those loans. You know, some players don't want to go out on loan. And and he learned a lot, especially at Brighton. I think <clears throat> I asked him if they were the perfect club for him. And he said, yeah. And I, I believe they were the perfect club for him in that moment. And I think after that whole Euros, when they won the under-21 Euros and, and Nonny was like, you're coming back. And he was a bit like, oh, and everyone got... Everyone obviously jumped to every single conclusion possible because that's what Chelsea fans love to do. Um, but he, in his mind, he was like, there was no doubt. Like, there was genuinely no doubt. I just needed to have a chat with the manager. I think, I think he, he didn't even say I needed to have a chat with the manager. Like, he just wanted to know, like, what, you know, what the plan was going forward. And he want, he's a Chelsea boy. He's Chelsea through and through. And he wants to, he wants to be at this club. You know, he wants to. He was he never wanted to leave. Like that was never an option, I don't think. Um, and we are very, very lucky to have him, obviously, playing for England now. And I hope he's gonna be England's starting centre back at the Euros if he carries on playing the way he does. But the way that Chelsea are playing, and obviously with the whole left back situation and the right back situation, I know obviously Gusto's back from his band now, but um yeah, he's turned into quite the left back. I still think the best Levi Colwell was at centre back. Like he's just class in that position. And yeah, going forward, I can't lie, I do want to see him at centre back. I, but I understand why he's playing at left back because Thiago Silva and Sassi have got a good thing going on and it, and it's working. And I don't, I don't really understand where this all Thiago Silva needs to be dropped malarkey comes from. He made, I think, one error leading to a goal or not even an error leading to a goal, but like he made a mistake and Levi's made a mistake this season. Desassi's not like everyone's done it like this season, but Thiago Silva for some reason is a scapegoat and everyone thinks he needs to be dropped. I don't agree with that at all. So if it means that, if it means that Colwell has to play on the left for the time being, that's fine because he's actually, like you say, turning into a bloody good left back as well. Um, but yeah, I, I love everything about him. I think he's class. Um, I think he's already a leader as well. I, I get that vibe from him. And I think that's one thing that Chelsea were perhaps missing It is those leadership qualities in a player. Um, and he, like he said, he learned so much playing next to Thiago Silva. And I think that is invaluable to him right now. And yeah, I think that back three in terms of those three centre-backs of De Sassi, Silva and Cole Willer are, are working. And, you know, we've got one of the best defensive records in the league. So hopefully it carries on um, I'm just excited to see him grow him learn and and yeah we are I tweeted it yesterday we are very 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 lucky to have him very lucky I, I was maybe one of those people promoting that silver dropping malarkey because I to be honest I it's not it's not so much that I I think he's like washed he needs to be taken out of the team now that's not really my point I think my general concern with silver is Poch's style of football in my opinion, doesn't really suit his game and especially in a back four compared to a back three. And I think us being hit on transition, I think I've seen it a few times so far this season where I just, it concerns me. Um, mm -hmm. And it's not, you know, I, I said this a few weeks ago, it's not the case that I, I, I'm going to sit here and say he can't ever have a good game for Chelsea again. He can't ever be useful for Chelsea again. Obviously, that that's nonsense. That, that, you know, doesn't make sense. He had a good game against um, Burnley, obviously, and Fulham. No, like, no one, like, coincidentally, like, no one talks about it. I always find that as soon as he makes a mistake, everyone's so quick to jump on it. But it's because we're so used to seeing these unbelievable performances from him now. It's just, like, normal. So when he has a game against Burnley, he was brilliant against Burnley, and he was bloody brilliant against Fulham as well. But no one talks about it. And as soon as he makes a mistake, everyone's like, oh, my God, he needs to be dropped. He needs to be out of the team. But actually, we've got one of the best defences in the league for a reason. So I understand, like, as much as I want Colwell to play at centre-back, I understand why Potch isn't changing it, because why would you change it? And, do you know what I mean? That, that, like, 
that Aston Villa goal, I think it was the Aston Villa goal where he stepped out and didn't make the tackle. That could have been avoided after that, by the way. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't like Silva was the last man and, and that was the mistake. And it led, like, it was, it, 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 uh, multiple things happened after that goal that that could it could have been avoided. And that involved Levi Colwell and it also invo- involved Robert Sanchez. Like, yes, it was a mistake, but it could have been rectified after and it wasn't. So again, I like, I, I don't, I think if we're going to start criticising Silva for his one mistake in eight, nine, ten games or two mistakes in eight, nine, ten games, then you've got to start being like, oh, well, he actually played bloody well against Fulham and Burnley. And coincidentally, we won those games. So I think it's I, I understand why Poch isn't changing it. And I, I don't think he should change it, to be honest. I think it's for, for what when they're playing well and we're, we're not conceding goals. I think it was just, again, like it was annoying because like, the problem is, it was the other end of the pitch. No one would be talking about that silver mistake against Villa if we could finish our chances. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's uh, and it's not like the defence has been woeful when it and we're giving away chances easily. Like I think, no, we've actually been pretty good. Yeah, so uh, but that's just Chelsea fans for you. Anyway, um, thank you so much, Liv. Uh, just before we wrap up, the final question is probably the most difficult one: favourite Chelsea memory. Ah, uh, I mean, this is such like a boring answer, but like. Munich was special for me because obviously it was our first Champions League win. But I think for me, Porto is just a special, special memory because I was there and like not everyone can say they've watched their own team win a Champions League. And I was like so emotional. I was like crying. I I didn't know what to do. And yeah, to watch your team, especially be huge underdogs. Like we've been huge underdogs in both the Champions League finals that we've won. And we obviously saying came so close to winning another one, which again I would probably say we were underdogs in. Um, but yeah, Porto twenty twenty one I think will will be tough to beat no matter what what Chelsea do now, just because it was the first Champions League that I was at and I got to watch my team win it, and it was it was a group of players that I know and that I've worked with and the manager that I know and love and worked with as well. So yeah, it was special for loads of different reasons, but I'd probably say Porto. Yeah, I think as well the the unex well both of them were unexpected, but that one particularly was was more unexpected than the Munich one in a sense because yeah. it's I mean that sounds silly because the the Munich run was so ridiculous, but it's just there was a sense with the Munich one that there was so much baggage in the Champions League with that group of players, like it had been the narrative of yeah. going close so many times with this group of players. Like in January when Frank got sacked, and I think we both had conversations about the time of how heartbreaking that was and obviously it was during the lockdown period and there was that lack of fans the fact that the fans were actually there in Porto to actually witness that there was a there was a lot of there was a lot tied into that um that made it as you know you could it's it's hard because it's like I can understand people would look at Porto and go um that's better than the Munich I, I'm not going to have a go at anyone for saying that because I, I mean the emotions for me that night were as real as Munich yeah, and like I, I think that the thing that makes it even more special for me was when you say like Lampard got sacked. I it took me such a, it took me such a long time to get on board with Tuchel because I was just so gutted, and I never expected to love Thomas Tuchel as much as I did. Like for me, he's my taking Frank Lampard out of the equation because like I'm always going to love Frank Lampard, but like Jose Mourinho is number one, and Thomas Tuchel is number two for me. Like I love the guy so much, and I. I think part of me still holds on to a little bit of hope that maybe one day he'll come back because I don't feel like his Chelsea journey has come to an end. I feel like it was it was an abrupt end and it, and it shouldn't have finished that early. And I yeah, I feel I still feel like it's unfinished business, but 
I think because and because we were like we were the best team in that tournament we were the best team in the competition in Porto and or like in that Champions League run and we were massive underdogs the whole way through 2012 and I think that made it special in a certain sense because it's like wow like it just proves that you don't have to be the best team to win it but it's quite nice now that we've I don't want to say fluked our way to a Champions League but I think luck was on our side and 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 things went for us on that those occasions and but but Porto when I look at the run like we conceded like what four goals in that whole Champions League that whole Champions League run on the way to winning it like it was and I know obviously fans couldn't go to a lot of it but the fact that fans were there at the final and yeah, everything, just the whole build-up, the whole storyline of Chelsea that season. I really wish an Amazon Prime documentary or something could have been done for that season. Like, could you imagine, like, sacking our greatest ever player as a manager and having someone just winning the Champions League? Like, it still blows my mind, especially that was only two years ago. Two years ago, Chelsea won the Champions League, or two and a half years ago now, but... Um, yeah, so that was special for different reasons. But I think the fact that I was there just just is like the icing on top of the cake for me. And that's just what makes it a little bit more special than Munich. Absolutely. it's uh, Hopefully we'll get uh, round three at some point, wherever it is. And, and hopefully it'll be as emotional and we as will. special if that's possible. Um, thank you so much, Livia, for, for coming on the show and, and giving your time. Um, I do this with all the guests, but I mean probably people I, I assume everyone knows who you are and, and knows where to but I, I do this all my guests for a chance for, for you to shout where people can find your work online follow you what's coming up uh, as the Premier League returns uh, this weekend yeah I'm um, yeah, you can find me Olivia Bazaglo is my at on on Twitter on X I still call it Twitter it still comes naturally naturally to me to just call it Twitter on X and Instagram I am on TikTok as well but like I'm not very good on TikTok because like again like filming everything just doesn't come naturally to me um but yeah Instagram and and uh, Twitter I use probably the most um I'm actually going on holiday surprise surprise <laughs> everyone knows how much I love my holidays um but it's a family holiday um and I fly on Saturday and so I'm missing the Arsenal game um but I'll be back for Brentford the following weekend. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um, but yeah, so I'll be, oh, don't worry. I'll make, I can't watch the Arsenal game, which is so annoying because of my flight. So I literally land as the game finishes. So that's going to be so horrible turning on my internet. And I don't care if I have to pay for it. Like I will be turning on my internet when I get to Dominican Republic, Punta Cana airport to find out the score. And that's going to be hell. I was debating paying for Wi-Fi in the sky just so I can watch it. But I think that's a little bit sad and I don't think I should do that. So, uh, yeah, it's not going to be very nice. I'm not going to be able to watch the Arsenal game, but I'm praying. I'm praying. I've spoken to a few Arsenal fans um, this week and they're all feeling really confident. I feel like they need a little bit of a humbling. So if we could give them that, that would be amazing. Um, but, yes, it's not going to be very nice turning on my phone to find out the score. But I'll be back for the Brentford game. Um, I'll be at the bridge um, and I'm very, very excited for that. Yeah, hopefully the the good run continues, and and I I'm yeah. quite not quietly confident. That's probably not. I'm not confident, but it's a uh, game where I feel like all the pressures on Arsenal. Yeah, no, we've like got no lit- pressure on us whatsoever. Yeah, I feel no. like everything everything is uh, is on them. Um, the the Kai Havertz fear is real. Uh, yeah, the Kai Havertz fear is real. The Mason Mount fear is real when we play United. Like, especially like being a Chelsea fan, I don't know. It just feels like this stuff always happens to us. Do you know what I mean? I just feel like it's like inevitable that Kai's going to score, but I don't think Kai's going to start, to be honest. Unless Arteta does it on purpose. Like, I look at their team and you think Martinelli, Saka, Jesus, Odegaard, Partey and Rice. Like, I can't really see 
unless someone's injured with the way Havertz gets into that starting 11. So that makes me feel slightly happier about the situation. Uh, he can score, but it can be at the end of uh, us being 4-0 up. You know, 4-0. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Agreed. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, we'll sarcastically all cheer for the goal he scores when yeah. we've already won the game. Yeah. Um, uh, exactly. But anyway, well, they maybe can give him a again, get his confidence up. Hopefully, hopefully. Um, but anyway, thank you so much for, for coming on. Um, thank you, everyone, for, for watching, for listening. Uh, make sure to subscribe on YouTube. Uh, rate and review the podcast. Five stars is the acceptable number of stars to give this podcast. And um, yeah, we'll see you again very soon. All the best. Sports Social Podcast Network.